it starts off with this very high-tech synthosequency type thing, like this. That's the news. Chicago, this is The Unenthusiastic Critic, a podcast about destroying your marriage one movie at a time. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Unenthusiastic Critic. I'm Michael McDonough. I write about film and television at unaffiliatedcritic.com. With me today, and always the smartest person in the room, is my lovely wife, Nakia, also known as the Unenthusiastic Critic. Hello. On today's episode, Nakia and I are sitting down for her first viewing of 1987's Broadcast News, directed by James L. Brooks. Nakia, what, if anything, do you know about this movie? Um, I know it's about journalists, and that's about it. Okay. And it stars Holly Hunter and William Hurt and Albert Brooks. Okay, but that's it. That's it. So I really like this movie. I think both Hurt and Albert Brooks are excellent in it. I think it features a pretty close to a career best performance from Holly Hunter. And I also just think it's it's one of the great workplace comedies. I think it's a great film about journalism, probably second only to Network, which you haven't seen yet either, in its prescience about how everything would and in fact did go wrong with television. But the main reason I wanted to watch broadcast news comes back to the actual news. This past week, news producer Susan Zarinsky was promoted to be the president of CBS News. And though the official story is that Holly Hunter's character in this movie is a composite of a lot of different women that James L. Brooks met and researched while doing this movie, the fact of the matter is she is pretty much Susan Zarinsky. Mm-hmm. Um, Zerinsky was an advisor and an associate producer on this film. Holly Hunter shadowed her and really based her entire character on Susan Zerinsky. And Zerinsky has been at CBS since the 70s. She is known for, you know, her relentlessly high standards. And now she's taking over CBS News at a time when the news division is pretty beleaguered. Um, they've had a series of high-profile scandals resulting in the firing of CEO Les Moonves, 60 Minutes executive producer Jeff Fager, anchor Charlie Rose. All of this stuff has been going down at CBS. Mm-hmm. So Susan Zerinsky is coming in to fix the news as mm-hmm. the president of CBS News. So when I saw that announcement, I just... I liked the idea of Holly Hunter's character in this film being promoted to be the president. It felt like a long overdue sequel to Broadcast News, and it made me want to go back and watch the original. So, Nakia, what are your what are your feelings about the news? <laughs> um, I think I have complicated feelings about the news, um, <clears throat> or at least uh, mainstream media. You know, I think there are a number of 
pain points around journalism currently? I mean, you mentioned the list of men who have had to leave CBS because of inappropriate behavior, to say the least. Alleged. Alleged inappropriate (laughs) behavior, to say the least. And so that's sort of part and parcel to what has become a trend of the newsmen becoming the news themselves. Right. Um, And they are now the story and they are now the news. And also sort of sit in these power positions to determine what the news is and what we do and don't mm-hmm. hear about. So there's that, this this sort of inserting of the journalist into the story or the journalist becoming the story. And then there's the continued marginalization of black and brown voices from newsrooms and journalistic spaces so that we have really obtuse and tone deaf reporting right. around, for example, rural voters or working class voters or, you know... What we did and didn't know about the rise of white supremacy, for example. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> what was that? There was that story that deservedly ridiculed slammed mocked, story yeah. the New York Times did that was like, here's how we all missed the rise of white supremacy right, in America. Right. It's like, no, we didn't miss right. anything. You missed right. it. Well, that's, I mean, who or was, chose right. not to talk about it. So, in, you know, and that says a lot about sort of who they assume their audiences are, who they think at least is worthy to be speaking to. Um, it's like, well, who is the we? And for right. a lot of these stories and a lot of the reporting, the we is white listeners. Right. And so, again, you get to feign ignorance around something that a lot of black and brown journalists and writers were sort of waving the flag on a number of years ago. Well, not even just feign ignorance, but actually contribute to the problem. Right. Contribute to the rise of Trump. Contribute Mm -hmm. to the whitewashing, Mm -hmm. which is an appropriate term, Mm -hmm. of some of these white supremacist movements. Right. Because it's good for ratings. Right. It's good for circulation. It's good for ratings, which is something I think this movie crosses over into a lot. Mm -hmm. This is what I think, you know, on one level, this movie is kind of a light, frothy romantic comedy. But on another level, it's about this point at which these problems started creeping into how the news was delivered in Mm -hmm. America. You know, prior to the period this movie's talking about, Network news was not a business. Mm -hmm. It didn't make a profit. It didn't expect to make a profit. It was this public service that the networks provided to fulfill FCC requirements. You know, they were one hour a day. They were required to provide informational programming. And so they did the news. And it wasn't about ratings. It wasn't about profit. It was about informing the public. And honestly, when I was a kid, the news was kind of boring. It was not sensationalistic. It was not entertaining. And it was not designed to be entertainment. And then that all, I think, changed in the 80s for a lot of reasons, which we don't need to get into. But it it all started to become about ratings. It started to become about engaging with the audience. We had the rise of the 24-hour news network, Mm -hmm. CNN, which the networks couldn't compete with, so they had to do other things to bring viewers in. Um, It became more about sort of human interest stories and that kind of stuff to get people's attention. And it changed the way the news was done, and, you know, in a lot of ways, some of which are good. I think in-depth journalism, sort of more analytical pieces are good. But it also meant that if a story wasn't bringing in ratings, it just wasn't covered Mm -hmm. anymore. Mm -hmm. There's a speech I came across of a guy at, I think it was NBC, talking about the, the Bosnia genocide story in the 90s. 
and how his network eventually just cut back on the coverage because the feedback they were getting from viewers was that, yeah, we're not so much interested in that story. <laughs> yeah. So they just stopped covering it, mm -hmm. which is kind of horrifying when you think about it. And so I think... I think broadcast news is, it's kind of about the moment that some of that stuff started to happen. And, you know, part of that entertainment factor was the rise of more telegenic newscasters. Mm -hmm. This was, this was the period in which all the old trusted journalists were retiring, like Walter Cronkite, who had been the face of CBS News for 20 some odd years. And then these younger, better-looking, more telegenic guys were, were taking the place of that old guard. And it's not that they weren't completely qualified, but they were less qualified. And a lot of them got the jobs and became very powerful because they were good-looking and good on television. Mm -hmm. And so that, again, just sort of changed the entire atmosphere. I don't know. I mean, I, I don't even remember the last time I watched network news. I think probably you're like me. I don't get my news from the news at all anymore. I get it from the internet. Because when I watch the news, and it's particularly true of local news, but I think it's probably true of the networks too, they they don't actually tell you what's happening. Right. You watch and you get these bullshit human interest stories. It's like, that's not news. What is this? Mm -hmm. What are you telling? Like, we're fighting wars. People are dying. Cops are shooting people. Like, all this stuff that I'm actually interested in knowing about is not what they're talking about on the news. Right. For that, you have to go to Twitter <laughs> and you have to go to all of these other alternate news sources. Yeah. I mean, I yeah, there's definitely, I think you definitely have to put in some effort as a consumer of information to get at the truth of what is happening, to get different perspectives on what is happening. So, I mean, you know, in recent years, with, with particularly with local news, what we've seen is that these sort of large media conglomerations have bought up many of the local stations. Yeah, that's a horrifying trend. And so there have been there's been sort of great examples of how scripted and narrow news has become in different markets because they're all owned by the same company with a very particular perspective right every local news station right. is working off the same script exactly. and the same mandate right from and, their corporate overlords right um so you're losing what what used to be very sort of nuanced and specialized reporting because now we just have this sort of top-down message that tends to be, that is coming from a company that is on the sort of right end of the political spectrum. And so it's it's this sort of regurgitation of dangerous rhetoric around, for example, immigrants. Um, right. So I just sort of removed myself from that space. Um, and then the cable news arena is just a shit show. It's, you know, again, it goes into that sort of infotainment 24-hour model that you were talking about earlier. And again, it is the talking heads have now become the draw. Like, we're not there to hear the news. You're there to hear Megyn Kelly or Joe Scarborough or right. whoever, um, you know, yell at whoever they have invited onto the show that week. Which is something that happened way back with 60 Minutes right. is when that started happening. Mm -hmm. Don Hewitt, the creator of 60 Minutes, talked about it. He said, you know, our network, we have shows about cops, we have shows about doctors, we have shows about lawyers. This is a show about journalists. Right. And they're playing themselves, mm -hmm. but those characters, if you will, are the draw right. of what we're doing. Right. And it's just, you know, it's not... 
I, I think I saw somewhere recently where Representative uh, Rashida Tlaib's comments about, she was speaking, of course, about Trump, and she said something like, impeach the motherfucker or something like that. And there was this huge, No, not something like that. Well, she said, right, exactly impeach like that. the motherfucker. <laughs> impeach the motherfucker. So there was this huge uproar about how dare she use that language and, you know, where had sort of manners and propriety gone. And, you yeah. know, and we're saying this in a time when our president said that he grabbed women by the pussy. So there's a whole bunch of hypocrisy right, going right. on there. But this particular analysis was saying that her comment had received something like five times more news coverage than Representative Steve King's comments about his not really understanding what the problem with white supremacy or saying yeah, white when, supremacy. When did right. white supremacy become a bad become a, a term, bad, he like, said, you know, bad term, like Right. That. So yeah. the fact that <laughs> her saying motherfucker received more coverage than his essentially legitimizing white supremacy and white nationalism is, is sort of ridiculous and sort of speaks to this moment that or forget about the you know that we're keeping fifteen thousand children in concentration right. camps or any of that that you don't or, see on you know the news. You, you mentioned Bosnia earlier right. the fact that you know there are people starving and dying in Yemen because of actions that we are taking right um, so. But no, let's spend 20 minutes talking about calling the president a motherfucker. Exactly. So then, you know, it goes back to this question of who is in power and how is that constructing the narrative? And then that is becoming, quote unquote, news. And again, it is a news that does not speak to the totality of who we are. It does not um, hold us accountable for what we do. And it allows us to rewrite history and make ourselves the heroes in a story when we were decidedly the villains. Well, that's why and, this is so terrifying. Is right because it is important. It is extremely to important. have an actual, extremely important. independent <laughs> yes. press. Because then it doesn't allow you to look back and say, "Oh, well, we were, you know, the good and great, and we were doing the right thing." It's like, no, 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 we were actually causing a humanitarian crisis at the border that did not need to be. Like, so there are all these sort of things that are happening that aren't we aren't challenging and aren't necessarily getting the light that they deserve because that's just not the way the mainstream media is set up mm-hmm. anymore. It just doesn't do that. There are people out there doing great work and doing those sort of deep dives into different issues. Chris Hayes does a wonderful job on his show, and I actually really appreciate his podcast, Why Is This Happening?, where he, you know, invites folks with actual expertise and knowledge on to talk about various issues. Um, So it's like our podcast. Right, yeah. (laughs) Um, I liked, you know, I was a big fan of Melissa Harris Perry's show when she had her show, and again, it was this Yeah, whatever happened to that? Yeah. Um, Once Obama left office, they decided they didn't need, like, folks of color on the news anymore. Um, So (laughs) we did away with all of that. That was just an Obama thing? That was an Obama thing where we were really leaning into the progressive stance, and then, you know, he was leaving, so now we needed to seem, you know, balanced, quote-unquote. So, yeah, I mean, there are journalists who are doing great work in various publications. Adam Serwer with The Atlantic, Janae Desmond-Harris, Nicole Hannah-Jones, Tremaine Lee. You know, so it's just a matter of you have to be more proactive about finding those folks that are trying to put that marker in the ground. Okay. Well, at this point, we're probably providing our listeners with the equivalent of the Bosnian genocide <laughs> coverage that they're, you know, not that interested in hearing. Sure. So let's let's kind of just go watch this movie and maybe watching Holly Hunter play sort of the new president of CBS News will feel a little more optimistic about about news in America. Okay. I do want to encourage people, though, to really dig into that Yemen crisis because the shit is horrifying. So, <laughs> so <laughs> but yeah, broadcast news. I'm, I'm cutting that out. It's a bummer. <laughs> it's not going to be good for ratings. You can just replace me with a white woman. 
You're not white. Let me just be your most trusted friend now, the one that gets to say all the awful stuff, okay? I guess. Yes. You can't end up with Tom, because it totally goes against everything that you're about. Yeah. Being a basket case. I know you care about him. I've never seen you like this with anybody, so don't get me wrong when I tell you that Tom, while being a very nice guy, is the devil. This isn't friendship. You're crazy, you know that? What do you think the devil's gonna look like if he's around? God. Come on, no one's gonna be taken in by a guy with a long red pointy tail. Come on, what's he gonna sound like? <sighs> no. I'm semi-serious here. You're serious? He will be attractive. He'll be nice and helpful. He'll get a job where he influences a great God-fearing nation. He'll never do an evil thing. He'll never deliberately hurt a living thing. He'll just bit by little bit lower our standards where they're important. Just a tiny little bit. Just coax along, flash over substance. Just a tiny little bit. And he'll talk about all of us really being salesmen. And he'll get all the great women. And we're back. During the break, Nakia and I watched broadcast news. Uh, Nakia, what, what'd you make of this movie? I liked it. I thought it was good. That's unusual. Yeah. <laughs> I did not hate it. That is shocking. <laughs> I really like this movie. Yeah, it's a great movie. Okay, I guess we're done. All right. Thumbs up. From Nakia. <laughs> Did it seem relevant to, to everything we were talking about, about what's gone wrong with the news in America? <laughs> it did. I mean, it sort of set up in these three characters, Jane, Tom, and Aaron. Right. The sort of growing tensions within the news media space. There is the side that is all about integrity and authenticity and rigor mm -hmm. uh, in in journalism. And then Tom, who is, you know... This is William Hurt's character. William Hurt's character, the pretty face without a whole Somewhat lot, dim -witted of, lot of substance there. Um, right. And who is... I won't say that he celebrates his ignorance... But he isn't in a hurry, necessarily, to grow. <laughs> in any I mean, he's essentially said, okay, well, this is what's working for me, so I'm just going to sort of continue failing. Right. For well, he's not very bright, he's and not. he knows that about himself. Yeah. And you, one suspects he could study forever, yeah. and he's still not going to be right. a great journalist. Right. Well, we get that, you know, that opening where we meet each of these characters as children. Yeah, we see them all, and there's a prologue. Right, and Tom, as a child, he's talking to his father, and he's like, I got three C's and a D and an incomplete or something. And his dad's like, you are, you know, studying all the time. How is this possible? And he's just like, I just have to work harder. I just have to do it. I'm just right. going to do it. So, you know, he's been struggling for a while. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, not everyone's going to be Ronan Farrow. Like, it's just not. So, <laughs> but, you know, instead of saying, okay, maybe I shouldn't be a journalist, he has just decided to, you know... Well, people think I look good on camera and I can sort of fake it enough to make it through. So he's just going to keep faking it until somebody catches him. Right. And he there they value what he does have, yeah. which is that ability to He's very intelligent. Connect with viewers. He can connect with the audience. Yeah, yeah. right. He says, you know, we're all salesmen, really. Right. We're selling an image of credibility. Right. Whether we're actually credible or not. Right. 
And then, yes, this is contrasted with... Aaron's character. Aaron's character, Albert Brooks's character, mm-hmm. who is a real journalist. Yes. And very intelligent. Yes. And not particularly telegenic. No. <laughs> and not necessarily a great person. No, that's. I think that's a conversation we will have, which is whether yeah. any of these people are actually great people. Yeah. He's petty, and quite frankly, both of them are men who do what men tend to do quite often, which is they need a lot of fucking emotional and ego stroking, and so it's just like, okay, well, you just have one that can read a little better, that's all. (laughs) He can sing and read at the same time. He can sing and read at the same time. In French. Yeah. Okay, and then there's Jane. Talk to me about Jane. Jane. Jane is brilliant. Jane is exacting. She has very high standards for herself and everyone around her. She suffers no fools, Mm -hmm. which can also make her tiresome. (laughs) Yes. Um, But but it comes off as endearing, maybe because it's Holly Hunter and she has that little twang in her voice. Yeah. Yeah, Jane's interesting. I appreciate her character so much because what we tend to see with women like that who excel professionally, the story tends to be, oh, she's great at her job, but she's so sad because she can't find a man. Or she's so sad because... Because she doesn't have a husband. Right. Which or, someone says about this, her, in the beginning of right. this film, when she's giving her speech. There's right. a woman in the audience who says something like, oh, I know women like yeah. that. They're single, so. But that's not her yeah. narrative at all. And they tend to be, their colleagues tend to treat them like, oh, that's the bitch in the office. Is like, right. Because how dare she be good at her job and ask me to be good at my job as well. Um, and that isn't it at all. She's actually quite celebrated in her office. Everyone recognizes her brilliance um, and her, her talent. and. There's one scene where she is in the middle of uh, producing some segment on the news, sort of on the fly, and the president of the <laughs> yes. um, of the network is there, and she's in this, sort of doing her job, and then she's answering the phone, and she says something like, "You fat bitch, you better get my shit ready." But like, just I will burn your fat ass or something <laughs> so, like that. And again, that would be that you know, typically that would be the point where where someone would say, "Oh, she's such a bitch in the office." Yeah. But whereas the president of the network is like, "Oh, I didn't realize she was that good at her job." Right. And so it's a really Really nice sort of change of pace to actually have a character, a female character that is excelling at her job and is celebrated for that and is not painted as either a shrew or a spinster because she dares to, you know, care about her work. While we're here, let me just mention in passing, um, the guy who played Paul, the, the president of the news, mm-hmm. his name is Peter Hacks, and he was a real CBS correspondent for 30 years and... According to Brooks, he was one of those guys that was let go in the network mm. search for pretty men. Mm-hmm. He was one of those guys that was not good looking enough to be useful anymore, so they fired him. Oh. So there's a little irony to him playing the president of this network. Well, he gets that, that great scene when he's doing the layoffs, and it's an older gentleman that he's just laid off, and he's like, oh, that's very <laughs> yeah, nice of you the best. to make it seem like I'm taking an early retirement. That's very nice. And I can't remember what Paul says. He he, he says, please let me know if there's anything right. I can do for you. And the guy's like, well, I hope you'll die soon. <laughs> <laughs> and it was said so politely. He was like, well, yeah. I just hope you'll die soon. That would be nice. Um, so that's a great little moment. So, yeah, Jane's an interesting character for a woman, particularly in the 80s. You know, 
she has these sort of crying jags throughout the entire film where she has these mo- takes these moments where she's alone and she just has a cry yeah. and then she's done. Seemingly for no reason. It's, it's not right. prompted by anything. She's right. just like, okay, I have a few minutes. I'm going to sit yeah. here and have a small nervous breakdown. And so again, it could easily be painting her as like, oh, there's this basket case woman and she's right. very she's sad neurotic because her, sadness, she, her mm-hmm. life is so sad. And it's not, it just seems like I need to have a moment. Yeah. I'm going to cry and then I'm going to My gonna life move is so on. busy. Right. I'm going to give myself this little release right <laughs> like, now and then. recognize the emotional side of myself and you know again this sort of self-care moment and then i'm done with it and let's get back to work so james l brooks said that one of the things he wanted to do with this film you know this was he was talking about the rise of the feminist movement Mm -hmm. he said i want to find a feminist hero Mm -hmm. to make a film about and that's this is what he came up with yeah um and i think she is i think she's a tremendous character she is but yeah she's a pain in the ass she is absolutely a pain in the ass but she's Right, most of the time. <laughs> and well, again, there's that great scene where he's like, yeah. you know. That, that's the best <laughs> scene in the movie. It must be nice to be right all the time. She's like, no, it's awful. <laughs> <laughs> it must be nice to always think you're the smartest person in the room. She says, no, it's awful. It's awful. <laughs> okay, so let's, let's go through this film a little bit. We already talked about the prologues. Mm-hmm. And then we, we start off with this speech that she gives. Mm-hmm. That is sort of talking about a lot of what we were just talking about, about the lowering of standards, about news becoming entertainment. Right. Increasingly influenced by the star system, is what she says. Yes. And she shows this film clip that she says all three networks ran on the same night, even though nobody was covering this important development in the, you know, nuclear disarmament treaty. Mm -hmm. Instead, they showed this film of... Was it like dominoes? Or it was a do- big yeah. domino demonstration something or something. Ridiculous. Something that was not news. <laughs> right. <laughs> but everyone in the audience loved it. Right. <laughs> and she says, I'm glad you like it because you're going to be getting a lot more of it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, her speech goes down like a lead balloon, basically. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, so it establishes her essentially as sort of the moral compass in that world and the standard bearer for, you know, integrity in journalism. Right. And apparently alone in that, without a lot of support. Yeah. And then she meets Tom. She meets dumb Tom. (laughs) They do this little sort of meet cute flirt thing, and then he proceeds to tell her that he's dumb. And she first takes it as, oh, you just lack confidence. Right. And to his credit, he's like, nope. That's not the problem. I literally don't know. I actually have confidence about, you know, something. You know, I read the news and oftentimes don't understand (laughs) what it's saying. And she does a great thing where she's just like, well, are you going to just whine about it or are you going to do something about it? And she challenges him on it and won't allow him to sort of do this sort of self flagellation with no actual action behind Mm -hmm. it. And he, of course, you know, gets his little ego hurt and says, you know, I don't. I didn't like how you just talked to me right now. And he pouts and leaves. And and he says it's not just because you were right. right. It's yeah. like how she said it. So it's a really interesting scene, though, because there's a lot of stuff going. I mean, ironically, he's the one that's trying to talk about journalism. Yes, she just wants to sleep with him because she's seen she's that he's totally dumb objectifying him because he's stupid. no. Before she knows he's dumb. <laughs> because he's- it's it's when he she finds out he's dumb, then she's not so sure she wants to sleep with him. But before that, he's trying to talk to her about journalism, and she's like, how are you at backrobs? Mm. So it's like she's objectifying him yeah. in that scene. And then how much of her anger is about the fact that she was trying to get laid is a little unclear. Right. But she is pretty mean to him when yes. she finds out he's an idiot and is making a lot of money. <laughs> 
But rightfully so. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't. I don't know that that person needs to be coddled in that moment. But again, because he's he's not saying, "And I'm going to go read and try to do something about it." He's just like, "Yeah, I'm I'm not bright, but I I'm keep- a journalist." <laughs> <laughs> so it's just like failing up, as you always failing say. up. Yeah. And knowing, you know, probably how much she had to prove her worth to get to where she is professionally. Mm-hmm. Like, I, you know, I can understand not having patience for that type of person. Mm-hmm. And then we get the punchline, which is after he's left, he calls her back up and says, oh, by the way, I've been hired at your network, right. so I'll be seeing you in the office. Yes. Okay, so meanwhile, we have her friendship with Albert Brooks. Aaron. Aaron. You want to talk about that? It is... A tenuous friendship because he is deeply in love with her and she does not, she is not in love with him. So he's sort of constantly settling for friendship when he obviously wants more and he's just sort of the the, the dopey friend on the side. Mm-hmm. But they, I mean, they have an amazing chemistry together. They can banter and be smart and witty together. They obviously have a great rhythm when it comes to, you know, producing their news segments together. They theoretically share the same sort of right. high standards right. and, and morals around journalism. Mm-hmm. Right. But again, this is another man in her life that needs a lot of just emotional care. Yeah. There's a great scene later in the film, speaking on that, where she literally takes out her shoulder pads mm-hmm. and gives them to him. I thought that was a nice little yeah. symbolic moment of, mm-hmm. you know, women constantly propping up the men, men around yep. them. And afterwards, she gets in a cab and she sort of sits there sulking and she's like, oh, I, right. you know, I feel just deflated. gave away. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So. So Tom's now at the Washington Bureau right. with uh, Jane and Aaron. And for a period of time, he's just sort of in the background and watching and sort of constantly asking Jane and Aaron as well to sort of shadow and try to learn as much from them as possible. Yeah. And, yeah, and we have some great just scenes of stuff in the newsroom, I think. One of the most famous scenes is they're editing tape at the last minute. Mm -hmm. And then Joan Cusack does that run through the office trying to get the tape to the control room. So Jack Nicholson's (laughs) anchor in New York isn't cutting to a black screen. We have a scene of Jane and Aaron in Nicaragua Mm -hmm. embedded with the Contras. And that's where we get a quick example of Jane's standards, mm-hmm. because a cameraman tells one of the Contras to put on your boots so I can get a shot mm-hmm. of it, and she throws a fit. Right. And she's like, stop, we are not here to stage the news. Right. And a lot of that stuff, I think, to us now probably seems almost quaint. Mm-hmm. Now that we have Fox News and bullshit like that, those kind of standards seem incredibly quaint Yeah. now. Well, and it goes to that... Um Albert Brooks, towards the end of the film, once Jane has started sort of dating Tom, sort of, and Aaron sort of has a hissy fit about it, and it's just like, you know, you're dating the devil, how could you do this? And he's like, what do you think the devil's going to look like when he comes to us? He's going to be a good-looking person. He's going to be someone that, you know, little by little, right. he'll, you know, help have us moving our line, our standards. Lower our standards in tiny little, little ways. And so I think that's what's low. It starts with saying, you know, okay, put on your boot now. And then little by little, we just keep sort of moving the goalposts of what is and what isn't acceptable yeah. or appropriate. And it does start with little stuff. So Tom's first story on some Pentagon scandal we we see everyone watching his first his first news story and there's a scene where he's trying to get information out of this general and he he sort of puts himself into the mm-hmm. story mm-hmm. he says general i know you don't want to talk to me but you know if you don't talk to me you're going to have to talk to other people 
And it's just instead of cutting that out and just getting the questions from the general, he shows himself arguing with the general. Right. And I mean, again, it's a little thing, but, you know, Aaron makes some snide comment like, oh, yes, let's never forget that we're the real story. Right. So it's just this little stuff that just starts to break down the integrity mm-hmm. of the information that's being being provided. And then I think we have that party scene that you were talking about, which is where she has the conversation with the president. Right. Because some, what is it, a, yeah, a, Libyan, a Libyan fighter has, yeah. fighter jet has shot up an American air base. Yeah, has been shooting up in Sicily. And so the, um, the network president is going to pull together the team that's going to do the reporting. And he chooses Tom over Aaron. Right. Uh, and to anchor this story. To anchor the story. And Jane, you know, standing up both for her friend and her her ideals, is making the argument that, you know, Aaron has done relevant reporting around this. He right. has done an interview with Gaddafi. Like, there's no reason why he shouldn't be the, the point person on this. And it really does come down to, well, Tom is telegenic and we're going to go with Tom. Right. Um, and so you get what I... It was, Probably one of my favorite scenes in the film where Jane realizes she's basically going to have to feed Tom everything during this broadcast because he doesn't know anything. (laughs) Um, So, you know, they have two other reporters that are sort of in the field doing reporting. So she's sort of like, okay, put as much on them as possible. Do not have Tom talk. (laughs) Right. The the reporters in the field are like. Do you want me to cover everything or do you want me to leave some stuff for Tom to ask me about? And she's like, no, cover everything. Um, And the little bits that Tom does have to say, he's getting directly from her. And the way it's shot is it's it's a very intimate sort of scene. Yeah, it's great. um, Because we sort of see her. So she's at the sort of switchboard where she can turn mics on and off and things like that. And so she's sort of caressing the button that connects her to Tom uh, at the desk. And very calmly and smoothly just sort of feeding him lines at exactly the moment that he needs him, it needs them. And, yeah. and um, we get the shot of the sort of the earpiece in his ear. And so it becomes this sort of dance that they're doing together. And again, it's probably one of the most intimate scenes yeah, it really in the is. film. I mean, there are a couple of sex scenes that aren't really intimate at all. And it's this sort of dance between the two of them. And I think we get a new respect for Tom in that scene. Yeah. Because she's, expect- she's expecting him to be nervous, yeah. and he's not. He's not. He's having fun. He's confident. Yeah. He's even joking with her. Mm-hmm. Like, he pretends his earpiece isn't working just to throw her off. Yeah. And you can see her getting a respect for him in that scene, yeah. too. Like, it is a mutual thing that yeah. they are they are doing together. Yeah. Intercut with Aaron at home getting drunk. <laughs> and pouting. And pouting. Yes. And he calls in a couple of pieces of information to help with the story. Mm-hmm. Jane feeds those to Tom. To Tom. They, Tom <laughs> says them as though he understands anything he's right. talking about. And Aaron's just sitting at home marveling me like, I say it here, it comes out <laughs> there. I think later he says something like, what's next, lip syncing? Yeah. Like, but yeah, and then after that scene, Tom says, that was like great sex. Right, yeah, no, like, he was like, were, we had such a great rhythm, and yeah. it was like sex. And You knew exactly yeah. when to feed me the line. Mm-hmm. You knew exactly what I needed. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a great scene. Well, and it was also a great, great way to show that, you know, the love story is sort of incidental. Like, the thing that matters the most to all of them is the work. Yes. And that's what they get most excited about. Yeah. And in fact, right after that, Tom starts sleeping with the other reporter. Right. Yeah. Who has that closet? She likes her closet. wonderful walk. (laughs) (laughs) It's a great closet. I knew you would like that. She's converted an entire bedroom to be your closet. It's my dream. (laughs) 
who then Jane has shipped off to Alaska, just to be fair on right. that. So this is, again, some questionable ethical stuff happening. You have from to get rid of the competition. All the characters. You got to do it. You know, oh, we need to send someone to cover this Alaska serial killer story. Who should we send? Yeah. Oh, well, let's send the woman Tom is sleeping with. Yes. Okay, so then we get uh, we get Tom's story on date rape. Date rape. Yes. Yes. Which which was a new concept in the eighties. The whole thrust of the story is people think of rape as you know Stranger. the guy jumping out right, of the bushes yeah. and <laughs> right this idea of acquaintance rape. Mm-hmm. But it is again, it's it is an important subject. Yes. It's an important thing to cover. But this kind of sensationalistic, human interest, exploitative story just sort of creeping its way in. Mm -hmm. And again, Aaron is disgusted. He's like, does anyone mind if I turn on the news for a minute? Like, what is this? Um, But it's moved everyone in the room that's watching it. And even, again, in sort of seeking out this sort of emotional stroking uh, after the segment airs, Tom pulls Jane aside and is like, I really want to know what you thought about it. What did you think about it? And she's like, you know, I was I was moved by it. And, right. And, and she's in surprise of herself and also probably a little bit of disappointment in herself with that she, she wasn't expecting um, to be moved by it. And she was sort of deeply moved by yeah. it. And she, she mentioned, so there's a scene in the segment where... The woman he's speaking to is crying and, and, you know, telling her story. And then there's a cut to Tom and he sort of sheds a tear. And it's this very sort of powerful moment. Yeah. And when she and Tom are talking, she's like, I thought that was an interesting choice to sort of, you know, make a cut to yourself to show yourself crying. And again, we get this question of how much should the journalists be inserting themselves into the story? She says, it might not have been my choice, but it moved me. It got to me. Yeah. Just again, there's this little lowering Mm -hmm. of the standards here. And Aaron is a dick about it, too. Yeah. He's like, oh, you really blew the lid off Nookie. Yeah. He's a petty person. I think there's a lot of people in this movie who are, it's not that they're wrong, it's just that they're kind of assholes. Yeah. So, yeah, there's there's a sense in which Jane and her usually impeccable standards are being seduced by this guy in every way. Mm-hmm. That she she is interested in him romantically, and he's challenging, at least, her professional standards. Right. And they finally agree to go on a date mm-hmm. to the correspondence White House dinner. Correspondence Dinner. She gets very dressed up for this date. It's a terrible dress. <laughs> <laughs> it's very 80s, so I really... It's you, really you are harsh on it's fashion just, styles. It's a, it's a rough dress. <laughs> it is polka dots and stripes and bows and just... It's very 80s. She's got the... Crimped hair. Crimped hair mm. and everything going on. It is tremendously 80s. It's rough. She's cute, though. She's adorable. And that dress totally eats her alive. And it just <laughs> bums me out. <laughs> um, so they, yeah, so they have their big, quote unquote, romantic scene, sure. I guess, at the correspondence dinner. He basically dinner. just feels up her boob. <laughs> <laughs> it is weirdly awkward. Yes. And I think that is intentional. I think it's like you said, the work is the important mm-hmm. thing. That's their real relationship. The physical stuff is just awkward. Yeah, yeah. She's like, at least kiss me while you do that. Uh, and meanwhile, Aaron mm-hmm. has, everybody's going to the correspondence center. So Aaron has seized this opportunity to show that he too can be good on television. Yes. He's going to anchor the weekend news while everyone else is at the correspondence dinner. Yes. And he has, he's gotten some tips from, from, from Tom. From the devil. On how to do this. <laughs> Sit on your jacket and don't move your eyes and punch your key phrases every sentence and et cetera. Yes. 
So he's all prepared. He's sure. all set. Except for his adrenal glands. <laughs> yeah, so he sits on his jacket. He does all of those things. Uh, the one thing he can't control is, are his sweat glands. <laughs> and he proceeds to perspire at an alarming rate. <laughs> Just this flood just of sweat pouring down his face. Ridiculous. Um, and you just see all the people behind the scenes trying to rush and fig like that. I believe someone brings out a blow dryer at some point. Um, it's insane. It's a disaster. And it's funny because he had uh, he had shared, I guess, this piece he had written for broadcast with someone who worked in the studio. And they're like, oh, my God, this is beautifully written. Like, yeah. It will be an honor to shoot this. <laughs> But you can't hear beautiful words when you're watching someone melt in front of you. So it's just all lost. And it's, it's just like, oh, it's such a shame. He wrote such a beautiful thing. <laughs> yeah. But all you're looking at is him just sort of Niagara <laughs> Falls coming off of his body. Uh, he says later, he says there were phone calls. And Jane says, people called in to complain. And he said, no, no, nice ones. <laughs> they were concerned. concerned I was having a heart attack. <laughs> so it did not go well. <laughs> He's not on air talent. <laughs> And so, again, you have Jane leaving her date with Tom. To go provide to go emotional support provide to emotional Aaron. support for Aaron, mm -hmm. who then treats her terribly. And That is such an ugly scene. It's a brutal scene where he says, I love you and I hate you, basically, yeah. in the same you know sentence. She says she might be in love with Tom, mm -hmm. and he freaks. He says, get the hell out yeah. of my house. Yeah. And that's when he goes, you're dating the devil. How could you possibly compromise yourself? I, I think that's the key scene of the movie, mm -hmm. though, right there, is that mm -hmm. speech he gives to her. It's such a beautifully written speech. Because, yeah, he, say, he says, Tom, while being a very nice guy, is the devil. Yeah. And that thing you were talking about, where it's like, that's what the devil's going to do. He's going to be a very nice guy. He's going to be super helpful. He's not going to do anything overtly evil. Right. Just inch by inch. But he's just going to get a job where he influences a nation and he's going to lower our standards right. inch by inch. And then he says, oh, and by the way, I'm in love with you. Yeah. And she winces in pain. Yeah. Which is such I <laughs> fucking love that reaction. It's Where's so Physically hurt her to hear it. It was just like, oh, shit. Um, so, like, the last response you want when you tell someone that you love them. But it's perfect. <laughs> and he says, how about that? I buried the lead. Yeah. Which is just great writing. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, that scene is so good. Yeah. It's a really beautiful scene. And it's. You know, it's a perfect you have a friend who've been friends forever and you know exactly where to like, you know, shove the knife in yeah. and you know exactly how far to go before, you know, you've gone too far and there's no going back. And but yeah, no, I thought it was a great scene. And then she calls Tom to tell him she's running late and he basically cancels right. everything. Has a little pissy fit. Yep. Yeah. Says, I'm not a chore for you to check off on your list. and. So if it wasn't clear before, it is crystal clear now that she is better than both of these gentlemen. <laughs> and the, So let's talk about that. The, Did, should she have ended up, were you rooting for her to end up with either of these I guys? I was not rooting for her to end up with either. They are, again, they are both babies. Like, they need so much emotional labor. It's insane. The, the amount of effort she puts in to make these men look brilliant. Uh-huh. Is ridiculous. So there's an extent to which that's part of her job as a producer. She's supposed to make the shit right, look Right, that's what look, producers do. Serious. Right. But above and beyond that, she was doing so much to just prop them up that it's uh, the brain cells that could have been invested into her own shit is just, you know, ridiculous. So, mm -hmm. no, I did not want her to end up with either of these gentlemen. And quite frankly, Tom is not that damn cute to be going through all of that. <laughs> he really isn't. 
Brad Pitt, maybe. So if he'd been cuter, it might have been worth it. You know, like at least, you know, all right. But no. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Here's the thing. If all you're bringing to the table is your looks, you can't have baggage and shit. Like, because it's not going to be enough to make up for... So you need to be simple. You need to be simple. You just need to be quiet. Just be quiet and look pretty. (laughs) And we can go and have, have a good time. But the moment you start to cause me stress, you're not that damn cute. So. Okay. So where are we? So then I think we have the layoffs, right? Yes. And this, again, is something else that was happening at every network Mm -hmm. in the 80s. They were all bought by these kind of mega corporations that were looking at the news divisions and saying, these things are just leeching money. Mm -hmm. Why are we accepting this? So news has to be more profitable has to be more entertaining, and we need to cut staff. Right. And so there were just tremendous layoffs happen. It's happening again right now, obviously, in newspapers all over the country. But so, yeah, basically half of the office gets the axe. Right. Paul comes down with the anchor, Bill Roar. Nicholson, yeah. <laughs> Jack Nicholson in, it wasn't literally uncredited, but basically he was doing like a cameo for, for James L. Brooks. And everybody's fired. Pretty much. Except for our three leads. Except for our three leads. Aaron quits in Right. Aaron protests. they were going to keep right. because... He's cheap and he can be plugged cheap. in anywhere. <laughs> so he quits in protest. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jane gets promoted, right. actually. To bureau chief. Because the bureau chief gets fired right. and she gets his job, which she doesn't want to take because she feels terrible about it. Mm-hmm. And Tom thinks he's being kicked out of the this bureau. He thinks he's been sacked. When he's being promoted to London. (laughs) Which is, Aaron tells him what they did with Jack Nicholson before they made him anchor. Right. He says, they're grooming you for everything and you don't even know it. And he says something sort of great in that same scene. He says, there isn't a system in the world that wouldn't value one of us. Which I think is such (laughs) an entitled fucking thing to say. And But it's perfect because it's like, it's too, you know... Middle class white dudes who have been succeeding yeah. for however long, and it's like, how dare they <laughs> not value us? Like how you know, and it's like, but it's also a brilliant line because it's like passive aggressive dickish. Yeah, you know, I'm smart, mm-hmm. you're, you're pretty. pretty. Yeah, there's not a system in the world that would wouldn't value one right. of us. <laughs> okay, so in all of this, Tom talks Jane into going on a vacation with him. Right. To see if they can actually have some kind of relationship. Mm -hmm. And then Aaron... Being a dick. Yes, this is their goodbye scene, Jane and Aaron. And again, it's another really ugly scene. What does he say? He's like, We'll see each other at at some years down the line and I'll be walking with my child and my child will say something like, my child will say something, and I'll tell him it's not nice to make right. fun of single fat ladies. Yeah, he's just such a and her face person. just drops. Terrible person. Holly Hunter is so good. She's very good. Um, but yeah, her face just drops because she's been laughing along with this till then. She mm-hmm. just realizes he is very bitter. Yeah. Um, but then he tells her uh, he's leaving, and he says, "You know, how is it that he al- he almost walks away without but he can't doing help it, himself. but he, he can't, can't help, help himself." himself. Tom only took one camera crew to film that day at Breach Story. So how was it that we got his reaction shot in real time that she was telling the story? Yeah. And he's like, I just thought you should know. <laughs> he says, like, I'm pretty right, sure I was right to tell sure you that. Right um, so again, just a sort of a dickish move. Um, yeah. 
So she goes to the studio and looks at the raw footage and she sees that though he was emotional during the scene, the the shot of him with the sort of tear coming down his eye was staged. Yeah. That he, he did a, a reshoot of it with the camera on him. And he and just manufactured some tears. himself up to cry and filmed it. And she's just and that's, deflated. That's the lie. She, she watches that footage like she's watching him murder a puppy. Yeah. Her reaction to that is just so raw mm-hmm. and disgusted. Mm-hmm. And so that becomes the line that she is unwilling right. to, to right. cross, unwilling to accept. And she goes to the airport to tell him that. And he's like, it's no big deal. Right. Like, what's, what's the big deal? Mm-hmm. She's like, you can get fired for doing things like that. And he's like, I got promoted right. for doing things like that. Right. Um, and just this kind of horrifying picture of, yeah, this is what the news is mm-hmm. going to be going forward. The line between entertainment and facts and information mm-hmm. is going to be completely blurred. We're going to be manufacturing news, basically. Right. Packaging news to appeal emotionally to the public. And to her credit... And to James L. Brooks's credit, because apparently they shot another ending. Mm-hmm. They shot an ending where she goes off in a huff and he follows her and jumps in her cab and they drive off together mm-hmm. or something. Mm-hmm. But no, it's like that. Yeah, that no, is the break it. right yeah. there. They're, these two people are not going to be together. Yeah. Um, and then we get a coda, which was kind of controversial. People didn't like people didn't like that final scene. Because nobody ended up Because together. nobody ended up together. That's real. We jumped up seven years later. Mm-hmm. Tom is now at the front of the at this anchoring. Right. Tom has now been just been promoted to anchor. Uh, Aaron has apparently been in Portland and is married and has a son. Mm-hmm. And ha- uh, Jane is dating someone and she's excited about it and is accepting a position to be the managing editor yeah. for the news. Right. So she'll be working with Tom again, which is an interesting thing because that's, we see Tom giving a little speech where he says, you know, I told the network I would be your anchor, but I should not be the managing editor. Right, right. He says there are better people, more qualified people than I am to determine the content of the news. And if there aren't, we're all in big trouble. Right. So he has a little self-awareness, mm-hmm. if nothing else. So, yeah, they're hiring Jane for that job. So she's gets to be the managing editor and yeah. control the content of the news. And Tom will go on being the... Pretty boy. Pretty mouthpiece. Yes. And that's pretty much where the movie ends. Yeah. Okay. So do you, you obviously kind of think that was the right ending. Yeah. That nobody ended up together. Mm-hmm. Because neither of those dudes deserved her. Right. At all. Yeah. I liked, too, there was... There was a running bit throughout the film where every time she got into a cab, she told the cab drivers how to go. Mm-hmm. Like, take New York Avenue, don't take the Beltway, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Like, really kind of bossy. And, yeah. and right at the end, after that big scene with her and Tom at the airport, she gets in a cab and she tells the cab driver, go whatever way you want. Mm-hmm. And then she thinks about it for a minute. The camera just lingers on her for a minute. And she says something like, but Connecticut Avenue is faster. Yeah, yeah. Like, she's not going to change. And no. she doesn't have to change. No. And her standards are the right standards. Right, and right. she's going to keep on. Right. Again, I mean, yeah, it's that burden of being right. She hasn't learned that right. she needs to be different no. from all of this. No. Because she didn't do anything wrong, right. really. You relate to that, that, being right all the time? No, I would never say that I was <laughs> right all the time at all. But I do appreciate a character particularly a female character who isn't sort of chastened into shrinking herself or changing herself for the benefit of a man's ego. Mm-hmm. So 
So I have no actual knowledge of how much Susan Zarinsky is like Holly Hunter in this movie, mm-hmm. although people say she's pretty much exactly like Holly Hunter in this movie. How do we feel about her taking over CBS News? She can't do any fucking worse. <laughs> Jesus. It kind of makes me want to watch CBS News now. I don't know about all that, but... <laughs> Yeah, no, I'm... Took, I, took her a long time. She's been there since good, 1972. Yeah. I mean, so she obviously has quite the level of expertise and qualifications. So I, I am a big fan of qualified women and qualified folks of color and qualified LGBTQ folks and all, you know, everybody's sort of getting to the place where they deserve to be and that they've been kept out of because some old ass white dude has been there forever. That's our show. We want to thank you for listening, and we hope you'll join us again next week. Nakia, every once in a while, I like to use this podcast as an excuse to revisit some very popular movies that I may not have properly appreciated when I first saw them. Mm -hmm. So, next week, I thought we would watch one of the most popular movies of the 21st century, one of the most popular franchises of the 21st century, Mm -hmm. Lord of the Rings. The Fellowship of the Ring. And then, like, eight hours long or something? Um, I think there's about nine different versions of it mm-hmm. of varying length that we could watch. I don't know if you want to watch the super extended bonus nope. feature no, extra don't. special nope. edition. So you want to watch the short one? Yes. Which is about three hours long. Okay. I'm not going to... I can tell you now that this is <laughs> going to be a waste of my time. <laughs> It's going to be like Twilight all over again. Okay, you keep bringing that up. Because it's relevant. You wasted, we watched, what, three of them before we decided that it wasn't going to be a fruitful endeavor? This was when we were doing the series for the blog, and I thought neither of us had seen the Twilight movies. I thought we should get on board. So, yeah, I think we watched three of them before realizing this is just not going to work. So six to nine hours of my life gone to shit. You didn't even get a good blog post out of it because I literally had nothing to say about that trash of a, of a series. So, And you think this... I'm pretty sure it's going to be the same. Although, now that you say that, mm-hmm. we could just watch all three movies. We could just so get divorced, full- <laughs> too. That could also be something we could just do. This is going to be fun. Probably take less time than watching the entirety of The Lord of the Rings. Yeah, I think we could be divorced in like 20 yeah, minutes. You, you go, go online, you get the forums. So, Bing, bang, boom. Exactly. I'm keeping my ring, though. <laughs> In the meantime, you can find us on the web at unaffiliatedcritic.com, where you can download previous episodes, find our contact information and social media links, or make a donation to support the podcast. Until next time, remember, true love means conning your partner into watching movies they really, really don't want to watch.